Welcome back or welcome to the Single Track Podcast. I'm your host, Finn Melanson, and this is a 2022 Havelina 100 pre-race interview with Pat Regan, a professional trail runner for Hoka based in Savannah, Georgia. Before we dive in, if you're a fan of Single Track, please consider supporting the show with a rating and review in your favorite podcast player, a donation on Patreon, or the use of our sponsor discount codes located in the show notes section of this episode. Thanks for your consideration, and with that, let's get started. All right, Pat Regan, it's an absolute pleasure to meet and to have you on the Single Track Podcast. Hey, Finn, thanks for having me, buddy. It's uh, I've been listening to your cast for a while, and it's nice to be on. Right on, I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, it's our first time meeting, like literally right here, right now. And uh, I love to always get just a little bit of background on folks before we dive into the main topic, which in this case is Javelina. One thing I'm curious, you're based in Savannah, Georgia, and... Uh, I guess my question is, why is that home base? What makes it a great place to live and train? Because I look at your your resume on Ultra Sign Up and elsewhere, and a lot of your focus is on these races in out west and even internationally. So, uh, talk about what makes it a great place to live and train. Yeah, a bit unconventional, right? Not your traditional spot to live for maybe a mountain ultra trail athlete. Um, I probably consider myself more of a, a, a road or flatter ultra athlete. So it is a great place for me in that way because I can train on the roads year round. It's a pretty nice place to train on bikes for cross training as well. Um, if you're willing to drive a bit to get on some dirt roads, which I'm getting more into gravel and that's kind of fun as well. Um, I landed here in 2010, 11, and that was after I was playing more in, uh, country blues, um, doing more busking, um, smaller shows and, and tours around the country. Um, living in the winter in new Orleans landed in Savannah with, with kind of the the fiddle player in my band. And I'd never really left here. Like when I first got here, I was, I was working in some bands, um, after my days doing the music and migrant farm work. And, uh, I, I got a job pedicabbing, like riding tricycle taxis, um, got back in shape a bit. I had a gap there between my collegiate running and professional. So that was a bit of what I was doing in the gap. And my first eight years here, I was coaching collegiately after that two years of living here without uh, a full-time job um, that wasn't riding a tricycle, right? So I coached in the NAIA in college. So I, I saw David Leaney get fourth his senior year, you know, when I was a, when I was a head coach in yeah. cross country at nationals. Um, so I, I coached at an art and design school for four, four years, called, or for eight years called Savannah College of Art and Design. Um, I then met my now wife. She was head lacrosse coach at the same university, and she's a painter now, a full-time painter. But we had, uh, you know, we, I had a house, like I got a house in 2014 here. So there was, you know, I had this platform that was wonderful, you know, this training environment, perfect year round for running. And when I was running events like the IAU 100K World Championships or Comrades, um, maybe training for flatter events. It, it was the absolute perfect platform, right? Maybe not your ideal Western States training, but but almost perfect for an event like Havelina even. So not really wanting to leave because it's a wonderful place. I'm a fellow lover of music. So I think at a future date, we'll have to go long form and dive in deeper to that. I find that absolutely fascinating. But a uh, couple more questions that I wanted to get to before Havelina. By my count, and you can fact check me, you've done roughly nine, you did roughly 900 mileage between 2017 and 2021 and you had a lot of success and just looking at what you've done so far in 2022 it seemed it seemed a little bit quieter 
and I'm curious, has that been intentional? Can you talk about sort of uh, the differences between that stretch and how this season has gone to date? Yeah, so 2021, 2022 have been a little flat for me, right? In terms of the usual number of races, um, I only did two ultras in 2021, being jackpot into Western States, and neither were great. Yeah, I think at Western States, I started to recognize like something was a bit off motivationally and just in terms of like deep energy stores, um, had some pretty awful blood work, which it sounds like we may get into that next. Um, and I took the back half of that year to just recharge the batteries emotionally, mentally, you know, reconnect with music. You know, I play a lot and doing some other things, um, getting back to just kind of like basics in terms of finding the fire again. And 2022 yeah. has been more about like getting back to my usual training p patterns and methods, um, getting used to higher volume again. Um, I've traditionally been the kind of guy that would go up really high, like back in 2016, 17 to one twenties and forties, which didn't last for long. Um, but since I've worked with Magda and Ian, um, as you know, coaches, Magda Boulay, Ian Sherman now being advisor for me and coach, um, this year has been more holistic in terms of just getting in good training blocks again, which I hadn't got in a while. Like even since my pre preparations for Yeti in 2020 were great. Um, my preparations in 2019 obviously went very well with three solid hundred milers and a good road hundred K. Um, but I think that year had tapped me out a little. So hmm. this year I had an unfortunate like acute injury at jackpot, but I was pretty fit for it. And then the summer, slight lack of motivation, but towards the end of the summer, getting fired up again about going back to Javelina and how it would be this wonderful, like kind of homecoming. And I could treat it more as like a non-results oriented event where I got fit and I enjoyed the process, but no pressure to race a lot in the lead in. And more of the focus with this event of just going back to an event that I'm really comfortable with. And of course I love, you know, this is my favorite race in the world. So, um, yeah, this year has been kind of naked in terms of a calendar for me, um, but I've been fortunate. You know, I've got great sponsors and great relationships there, and and they're they're good with it. You know, they're good with me taking this slow, holistic process back to a hundred percent. So much to unpack there. I do want to get to Western states in just a moment. I do, I like you said, I do want to dig into the blood work piece a little bit, and I should say with a caveat, this show partners with inside tracker i know you partner with inside tracker mm -hmm. and we both use the product we both love it but just speaking generally about it can you speak to the importance of it because i think there's a lot of listeners out there myself included at one point in my running life who think that blood work is this it's this luxury optional thing that uh is not like a not like a necessity when it comes to checking in with yourself throughout the year so can you talk about how it's become a staple in your in your life yeah, whether for me or for athletes that I coach, um, I'm also like affiliated with Inside Tracker as a coach, right? For the athletes I work with. Um, I find that it's important to check in to get a good idea of your baselines on a regular basis. Um, I prefer doing it somewhere along the the line in the training block at, at the highest volumes to see what's a little out of whack, maybe eight weeks before a race. Um, I prefer to do it a little closer to the race, but maybe not look at it. And then three weeks in post. I particularly like to monitor uh, ferritin, um, you know, B12 stores, uh, vitamin D, um, 
focusing on cortisol levels and cholesterol. Cholesterol's been cholesterol and cortisol have been like a bit of an issue for me. You know, running so many hundred milers in in a few years, like cortisol jacked, you know, and um, trending towards like the the cholesterol being much higher after races as opposed to in, in pre in the training block. Um, but most importantly, ferritin. Ferritin is is kind of the one thing we look at for like just can I provide my body and working muscles with the oxygen I need to provide it with, right? If your ferritin's in the tank, you're in a rough spot. So the I, I love working with Inside Tracker for that reason to get a good track for what's right for me, right? I, I have this profile of dozen a dozen tests or so or more over time where I can see, well, my ferritin was 45 and I ran 1221 at Brazos Bend. My ferritin was 110 and I ran a 630, 500K. So what? why is that, right? Like, why do we see mm. such low levels be right for some where if other men had levels at 45, they wouldn't be maybe be anywhere close to their maximal performance? So it's helped me to get certain levels right over time. Mm. Well, moving to Javelina just for a second, uh, or I should say really for the majority of this conversation, you've rate, you've done Havelina three times. You've had t- a ton of success. You have the course record there. I think the obvious question is what brings you back for a fourth time? Yeah, for me, uh, like I said, that like this training block, this 12 or 14 weeks or so, which I haven't got one, one of these in, in a while has been very process oriented and trying to remove the results oriented aspect of it. So really I'm going back to Havelina because it's my favorite race in the world. I love running on a sand floor. Um, I always hope it's 105. I think it is really, it really fits my skill set in terms of the place I train, rolling terrain, somewhat sandy. And this course, all the ancillary, um, all the, all the like need to topical cool, all the ancillary things you have to provide your body with on race day, I think it makes it one of the most technical ultra trail races in the world. You have a sand floor, you mm. need gators, you know, you probably need to topically cool here more than anywhere else in the world. Maybe other than uh, marathon de Sable or right. Like a, a true desert race. I think that even though people look at it and they say it's a non-technical race, it's very flat. I think it's far more technical than Western States to get it right. I think plenty of people have run great hundred Ks here, but to me, it's fascinating. Like, can you go back to the race time and time again? the way that my coach does Charmin, right? Goes back and back to Leadville time and time again, or Western States. And can you get that much better or run close to what you have performance-wise in the past, at least in relative terms? So for me, it's mostly about the community here at Havelina. Like, I just love this race, man. Like, I'd be, I'd been here three times when it wasn't a golden ticket race. So it's a no-brainer for me to want to go back. Well, I think this rolls perfectly into my next question, which is... uh... And I know you just mentioned that it's not always about outcome goals. And sometimes it's about just celebrating the fact that you're, you've been able to string together a couple blocks or a bunch of weeks of training. Where would you say you're at physically, emotionally, spiritually, like a week out from the race? Yeah, physically, I, I feel like the block went about as well as it could. You know, I got up to 110 miles a week at max, felt really smooth. I run singles, so I run no doubles. Um, getting a week of 110 in with some, some cycling days, you know, on a gravel bicycle or road bike. Um, that's a pretty big, that's a pretty high volume for me. I feel like I've done more speed work 
than I have since 2019, maybe getting in some really good sessions at marathon, half marathon pace, feeling like that PE is really smooth, uh, feeling like my durability is really good. Um, a lot of strength training, you know, just, just feeling like I've got the whole puzzle, you know, all the puzzle pieces kind of applied for this one, uh, mentally in a good spot. I haven't raced for a while, but I strangely don't feel that uh, the pressure uh, in the, like that I have in the past, I find that for me nowadays, like running's way more about just get out there and have a good day, run, enjoy the course, run. Like all that matters is the next five meters. Um, that that's how I race really. I, I try not to pay attention to anyone around me for a hundred K and just do my thing at the right RPE, uh, wire to wire, you know? So I'm excited to go back here and do this race primarily because I've got tons of experience on the course and I've got a real connection with Jamil and Jubilee and the Aerovipa community. Mm. So it's, it's going to be fun to be back out there with, with a whole crew, a whole slew of good friends. Like my buddy, Jason green, that runs the Yeti hundred is going to be crewing and my business partner, Nicole Manette, um, you know, coaching partner, she's going to be there with, with our other coach, Randy. Uh, my wife's going to come this time. She hasn't come to an ultra in a long time. So it'll be really fun. We've got a bunch of friends coming out. Well, putting your, your analyst hat on just for a second, you know, you mentioned that this is a surprisingly technical race to a lot of people that might not interpret the, the desert the way you have and with your experience on the course. How do you see this race playing out for the top three to five runners this year? Like given, given who's in the field, given what the precedents are for how fast this course can be run, um, how are you expecting uh, like the race for the golden tickets to play out in terms of like times and stuff like that? On both sides, you know, there are 10 to 12 really competitive women, 10 to 12 really, really competitive men. I think the depth of this field is great. You have some really interesting entries. I think Dakota Jones is a person like we all think highly of, you know, he thinks a lot about, um, you know, how we're impacting, you know, the environment we live in with a couple of the organizations he works with and, and runs and, um, you know, Mark Hammond uh, is a really solid runner. Arlen Glick's a, a great runner. Um, I think that the chemistry, like among the guys in the race, uh, lots of mountain runners, some guys that have run flat races like jackpot and Havilene in the past and done well here. Um, you know, tons of really good entrance runners with different racing styles. Like Nick Curry, um, is an extremely dialed runner and, and he will not be leading the race. Um, so talking with a few runners that are, that are in the race, you know, whether it was phone calls, whatever Arlen Glick talking with Arlen yesterday, talking with Nick and maybe five, six weeks ago, I think we're going to have a really explosive race from the gun with a pack of men that we haven't seen on the Havelina course before. I think the women's race similar, and they'll probably run a lot more intelligently, you know, just based on what we've seen in the past of like men's races versus women's. Like, I think the women have been running really smart at Western States where the men have been running a really high risk race. So I'm not sure if the winner will come from a pack of six that go really hard and maybe one or two of those eggs don't break. Or if someone will be able to chase down that pack that takes undue risks in the first hundred K. But I think this course more than any other, at least as much as Western States can really punish people that go way too hard in the first hundred K. So I could see someone chasing down the winners and you had mentioned, will it go sub 13? I, I think if there was ever a year, it will go sub 13 for the win. This is the one. Cause it is that Jim Ryan theory, right? It wasn't necessarily that like the university of Kansas had a group of 
five great runners. They took 12 great runners and threw them against the wall and Jim Ryan didn't break, right? So that theory can be applied to almost any extremely competitive ultra. And I think this is the perfect scenario and storm of maybe eight, 10 really fit men, eight, 10 really fit women. It'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. Like do the hunters win or, or do the one or two guys that, that take the big risk win. I think that's one of my favorite references on the podcast, the date, the Jim Ryan reference. That's awesome. Couple questions that I want to ask you before we close out. Coming back to Western States for a minute, you've had success at this race before, at least from a spectator standpoint, you had that eighth place finish back in 2018, 116 hours, a little bit of heartbreak in 2021. I think you kind of rallied in the second half and maybe <laughs> were in that 10th spot, but ended up finishing 11th. Is there any motivation at Javelina to get back there and take another crack at Western States? Well, my, my good friend, Stephanie Flippin is running Javelina this year and my plan is to pace her at Western States next year. So no, um, I'm, I don't have plans to come here running for a golden ticket. Um, I plan to run a bunch of East coast races next year. So I'll run my friend, Jason Green's dark anchor in January. It's a 34 hour race here in Savannah. I, I won't go all 34, but, um, a nice place to, to get the year started, um, right here on my home turf with the concentration next year, the first half, at least being on Umstead hundred which is in Raleigh, North Carolina. So it's a similar profile to Javelina and it's on beautiful dirt roads. The The back half of the year is a bit questionable as to what I'll do, but it looks like, you know, I'm thinking about living in Leadville for about four weeks next year. I'm uh, working with goo a, a bit up there um, and potentially doing the Leadville hundred. Um, and if I do that, I would do tunnel Hill in the fall. I've also thought about maybe re-entering Spartathlon with Vermont in the summer as a build-up race. So this year I was supposed to run Spartathlon and kind of felt as though the year wasn't going in the trajectory that I was really interested in running it this season. But that's probably like my main bucket race right now is getting prepared for, for Spartathlon. I'm not sure if it'll happen next year or the year after. But I plan to run a bunch of new hundreds and different races for the next few years, mostly races that are unaffiliated with the UTMB series. Um mm. And mostly races that aren't golden ticket, but just kind of classic American and classic international ultra races, a hundred miles plus. I dig it, man. And it's, it's, it's interesting. Uh, one thing I've noticed doing this interview series for Javelina, you're not the first, uh, person I've spoken with who isn't interested in taking a ticket at the, at this race, despite wanting to compete for a win or a podium spot. Very interesting. Um, yeah, because well, you look at a golden ticket race, right? And that should be the intention. But I guess, Finn, my intention is I want to go back to my favorite race in the world, man. This is this <laughs> is the the jam right here. This is, you know, this is my dream race. I mean, I've done it three times, but I don't know how many times I'll do this race. I, I love it. it. It aligns really well with with my environment here in Savannah, training in extreme heat, you know, up to 115 heat index all summer. Um, it's perfect for me because I, it actually feels like you're tapering the weather a hundred degrees out there feels like 75 or 80 here you know so in in that way i just plan to go back to my favorite race i, I don't have intent to take the ticket i dig it man I, I think a lot of people myself included are super caught up in the what what's next type questions in the future and you're just soaking up the present moment i think that's awesome um last question i have for you some runners have trademark styles and i've always associated you with the calf sleeves 
not all runners do it. So I'm curious what kicked that off for you. And I guess what's the science there in terms of performance benefits? Yeah. So compressed sport has been my uh, longest lasting sponsor. Um, I've loved working with the company and I, I love the idea of compression on the go on the run um, for blood flow. I think the topical compression makes me feel really comfortable. I find that the calf sleeves in particular um, do a really good job to also, I'm a very heavy supinator. So in trail races in particular, they do a good job to guard my calves against the lugs on the shoe from so much supination. I catch lugs on, on my inner calf a lot and it becomes extremely painful, <laughs> like late in uh, trail hundreds in particular. So I love the compression, both from the scientific standpoint of like a certain um, millimeters of mercury of pressure on the calf um, to keep blood flow going. Um, another way I use them is, you know, I'm a big topical cooler, like, you know, thinking about thermoregulation the entire time, especially on courses like this in Western states. So I get my calf sleeves really wet and mm. I use that method of topical cooling for my lower legs as well, which is a tactic Nick Curry used a lot on his quads, cooling his quads when he broke the American record in 24 hours. Um, I think that the more coverage you have on this course, um, I'll be covered, you know, with, with compressed sport, hook a product like from here up and trying to get that soaking wet. So anything that retains fluid, both including an ice hat, um, arm sleeves that are some poly cotton, uh, mix up, uh, wearing t-shirt instead of singlet and then having coverage on my legs as well. That those are places that I can, uh, absorb cool water and send more energy to working muscle and to my gut to digest. So I'll be storing ice in those type of sleeves as well. So. Super cool. Well, Pat, super grateful to have you on the pod here today. Thanks for taking the time. Excited to watch your race unfold about a week from today. We'll make sure to link to all of your relevant social media in the show notes. Anything you want to leave the listeners with before we go here? Yeah, I just encourage everybody to uh, you know get out and check out this race someday. Havelina is wonderful. Um, yeah, and thank you, friend, for having me on the podcast. Thanks for listening. Before we sign off, if you are a fan of the show, please consider supporting us with a rating and review in your podcast player, a donation on Patreon, or the use of our sponsored discount codes in the show notes. Thanks again. We really appreciate your support. Really appreciate you listening. Until next time, I'm your host, Finn Melanson, and you have been listening to the Single Track Podcast.